Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of Scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, hearty brothers and sisters, welcome to another podcast episode, Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. Grace and peace be unto you, and I do pray these episodes have been a blessing to your soul and encouragement to your spirit to press on to the high call and prize in Jesus' name. So... Yeah, um, my daughter Destiny was looking ahead on the calendar. Obviously, we're heading into the month of June, so-called Pride Month, which is really National Shame and Disgrace Month uh, for the United States of America. But she did take note, hey, Dad, Father's Day is coming up. So how about doing an episode on Father's Day. It's so interesting, brothers and sisters, and I've been in the full-time ministry over 40 years and been through a lot of, you know, Mother Day, you know, messages and sermons, Father's Day messages and sermons. And one of my observations has been, you know, pretty much women get a pass. You know, uh, a lot of the pulpits and pastors, you know, give flowery, gracious words to mothers, and rightly so, especially if, uh, you know, there are Proverbs 31, Titus 2, woman of God, you know, we do need to be grateful and thankful for their great sacrifices, because quite frankly, they're the glue that holds the family together, especially if a man of God is being faithful to the Lord. And so, yeah, they're of high value. But I've also noticed on Father's Day, and, and, and I guess I'm going to kind of follow in that tradition, usually Father's Day, men get challenged, you know, um, specifically as it relates to their duties and responsibilities. And, and in some ways, that's rightly so, because uh, as we're going to find out today, there is a lot of responsibility uh, and a, a burden that is placed upon men and uh, the severe consequences when men uh, do not fulfill those responsibilities and duties. And we're going to be going through the scriptures to show in the Old Testament, you know, really it was not mainly the fa failure of the nation or kings or prophets and priests, but literally when you look at it, it came down to a failure of fatherhood that brought uh, tremendous uh, negative consequences upon the nation of Israel. So we're going to get involved with that today, and I do pray um, that this message um, convicts men, uh, brings correction where necessary, but most of all, that you know how important you are to the Lord, uh, to your family, to the church, and to your communities. Um, before I get into the message, though, I do want to dedicate this poem to men who perhaps are doing it right. You're a loving husband. You're a faithful father. You are taking your duty serious before God. And so this poem is dedicated to you. Uh, it's called the Patriarch Poem. It's written by Doug Phillips. So here we go, gentlemen. If you're doing it right, this one's to you. More noble than the valiant deeds of shining knights of yore. More powerful than tyrann plights that make the rich man poor. More kingly than an earthly throne or a lion with his pride. Is he whose babes sleep well at night, sure daddy will provide. There is a spirit in this land, and Jezebel's her name. She's calling you to leave your home for power, fun, and fame. She wants your wife, your children too. 
She'll never compromise until your house is torn in two by listening to her lies. But though a hundred thousand million men may fall prey to her lures, and wives in mass leave homes in search of more fulfilling chores, though preachers praise and friends embrace her pagan plan of death, stand strong and quit you like a man with every blessed breath. Stand strong and rise, O man of God, to meet this noble call. The battle is not new, you see. It's been here since the fall. Your wife is your helpmeet, my friend, and not another man's. So care for her and keep her far from Mistress Jezebel's plans. Protect and provide and give to her your undivided life. This is the dear one of your youth, your precious bride, your wife. Rally to those tiny ones who trust you for their care. A lifetime spent discipling them is a lifetime pure and rare. For when they put their hand in yours and know a daddy's love, you are showing them a picture of the Father from above. So look not to worldly goals of gain or for your liberty. Look only into their sweet eyes to find your ministry. Devote your heart and sacrifice and make your manly mark. There is none so great as he who finds his call as patriarch. So a tremendous poem by Doug Phillips, and I pray that's an encouragement to your soul uh, as we go through this podcast episode. So there is a phrase I want to throw out right from the very beginning. It's in a very important one. And uh, you keep this in mind as we go through this message today. It goes like this. As goes the father, so goes the family. As goes the family, so goes the church. And as goes the church, so goes your nation. So when the Lord created the heavens and the earth, we must remember there was only two forms of human government. There was self-government, where they could eat of all the trees in the garden, but they were forbidden to eat from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this required self-government. And even when it comes to the founding of our own nation, our founding fathers equated uh, self-government with liberty. They said self-government is the key to liberty. And that is true uh, for the soul, true for the family, the church, and our nation. So we had one form of government uh, created initially with the heavens and the earth. That one was self-government. And the second one was family government. So at the time of creation, there was no need for uh, church government and there was no need for civil government. Uh, when the, the limbs are strong, you do not need a crutch. And so we know that in the context of self-government and family government, uh, the first Adam, he was serving as the federal head of the human race. He was the patriarch. And that simply means he was the family ruler. He was the man in charge. So on a human level, patriarchy was God's standard for all human government before the fall. Now what's interesting, after the fall, it is significant to realize that God identified himself before, before he has that encounter with Moses 
at the burning bush where he proclaims his name, I am that I am, before that moment where he discloses his name in the earth, he was known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So the fact, brothers and sisters, that God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, chose to identify directly and specifically with the patriarchs, his creatures, uh, that has profound implications. And I believe it drives home how much God prizes patriarchy in human authority. And I think this also reveals why the world, empowered by the devil, sin, and rebellion, hates patriarchy. See, it's not just, you know, the, the, the you know, accusation of toxic masculinity on a human level. Um, they instinctively know that God Almighty uh, established uh, Christianity as a patriarchal religion. Uh, that is clear biblically, that is clear scripturally, and it's been true throughout history. Uh, and so you hear these, these, you know, these cries, uh, you know, from the different groups, you know, the leftist progresses, progressive Marxist groups, right? Down with patriarchy. This is the battle cry. And this comes from a people in a movement that promote child sacrifice, the shedding of innocent blood, plus the homosexual and transgendered movements. So what do they all have in common? They hate God, they hate men, and they hate patriarchy. Uh, this is not by a coincidence. Sometimes <laughs> the enemies of the Lord know this battle a whole lot better than the church of Jesus Christ. So they know if men repent and get right with God and biblical manhood and masculinity is revived in our day, they understand uh, that their agenda will collapse. It will fall apart. It will be driven back to hell from whence it came. So as we look in history, you have uh, theologians like Richard Baxter. He, he was an English Puritan church leader. Um, he understood the importance of fatherhood. He also understood the importance of family as the building block of a sound nation. So this is what he stated. The life of religion and the welfare and glory of both the church and the state depend much on family government and duty. If we suffer the neglect of this, talking about a family government doesn't work properly, he says we shall undo all. So in other words, if family government is compromised we will see failure at the church level and at the state level. So in other words, if the family falters, it becomes a national security issue. Now, John Adams, he, he's our second president. He, he took a different approach because he's not necessarily uh, commenting on uh, men or fatherhood or family but he is commenting on the manners of women and how this impacts nations. This is an incredible quote, and it really shows how much our founding fathers, though not perfect, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, they studied. They studied the scriptures. They studied government. They studied law. They studied history. They found out what worked, what didn't work. Um, I mean, these guys were pretty studious as they approached life. And so this is what John Adams declares. He says, from all that I have read of history, of government, life, and manners, I had drawn this conclusion, listen, that the manners of women were the most infallible barometer 
to ascertain the degree of morality and virtue in a nation. All that I have since read and all the observation I have made in different nations have confirmed this opinion. The manners of women are the surest criterion by which to determine whether a Republican government is practical in a nation or not. Now understand this, brothers and sisters, you hear a lot today that uh, America is democracy. It is not. It is a constitutional republic, and that's what John Adams is addressing here, a Republican form of government. Now, he wants to know in history whether it will succeed or whether it will fail. So he goes on to say the Jews, the Greeks, the Romans, the Swiss, the Dutch, all lost their public spirit, their Republican principles and habits, and their Republican forms of government, listen, when they lost the modesty and the domestic virtues of their women. So lack of fatherhood, feminism, um, the confusion that it unleashes upon a nation, it, 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 it's not just uh, the fact that it uh, promotes, you know, immorality and confusion and the breakdown of the family. Uh, people who have studied history said these things are an indicator that your nation, your form of government is about to fail, collapse and implode. These are national security issues. So how important uh, is it to the health of a nation where men, husbands and fathers, women, wives and children um, come back to the Lord and do things according to his will? In other words, we come back uh, in divine order in order for God's blessings once again to flow into our marriages, into our families, and in our children, in the church, and through the church to society. So as we begin this Father's Day message, we're going to start, uh, we talked a little bit about the, the creation, right? And, um, and God, you know, uh, uh, declaring himself by the name of God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, patriarchs all. We're going to look to the first uh, uh, patriarch that he taps, and that is Abraham. And you can find this encounter in Genesis 18, 18 through 20. And this is what God says to Abraham. Now remember, he's the father of many nations, and he is the father of our faith. Father, okay? Critically important. Father, not mother, not child, dad, father, okay? And so God says to Abraham um, that, you know, basically he is going to, through him, make a great and mighty nation. Now listen. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And that brings up eschatology, brothers and sisters. God said in his word that through Abraham and his speed, a seed, speaking of Jesus Christ, that he's going to bless all the families of the earth. And here he says, all the nations of the earth. God has never deviated from that promise. And he fulfilled it at Christ's resurrection when Jesus declares all authority in heaven and earth, has been given to me. Now you go, disciple the nations, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you make sure the nations keep my commandments. So God promises in the Old Testament, and he fulfills it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he says, I have known him, speaking of Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord. Now listen, Father, 
This is what you need to be teaching your kids. You need to teach them to do righteousness and justice. I can't tell you how important those two virtues are when it comes to Almighty God. In fact, the Bible says his throne in heaven is built on the two pillars of righteousness and justice. So God is tapping Abraham, the father of our faith, the father of many nations, and he's saying, Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you, and you have a responsibility to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, and specifically to teach them to uphold righteousness and justice in the earth, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So it's obvious God recognized in Abraham that he has a commitment, though not perfectly, but there's a commitment to command his children to keep the way of the Lord and to do righteousness and justice after him. And by this, Abraham became the father of many nations and the father of all those who partake of God's saving faith. Now, please pay attention to this. So, obviously, uh, God, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he produces the seed, seed line, the genealogy that will bring forth the pro promised Messiah in the earth. And so, through that seed line, yeah, we have great kings. Obviously, David became the gold standard of all kings. He had his issues. He had his struggles. He had his sins. He had his failures. But I am telling you, God set his love upon that man. And with all those issues, God still said, he is a man after my own heart. And he judges every other king in, in the kingdom of Israel or in the kingdom of Judah and Benjamin. Every king is judged based on the standard of David. And that determined whether they were good and righteous or sinful or rebellious. So David became the standard. So there was, you know, some great kings in Israel. Obviously, there were powerful prophets. There were anointed priests like Ezra. But when you look, again, when you look at the overall failure of the nation, it truly came down to the failure of fatherhood. Now, men, I'm not saying these things to condemn you. I know you're getting beaten up enough. I know this culture, this godless culture hates you um, and wants to see you destroyed and wiped out from the face of the earth. I get it. But there's a reason why, you know, the enemy has so inflamed our government and culture against manhood, against, you know, husbands and, and fatherhood. Uh, they know what's at stake because I'm telling you, if we repent and come back into divine order, their agenda is absolutely overthrown they will proceed no further. Um, and so they understand, again, what's more at stake uh, when it comes to these issues. And so I'm going to give you like the first example where fatherhood really uh, brought a tremendous blow to the welfare of Israel. So you know the story, brothers and sisters, you know, God calls Moses to the exodus, you know, let my people go, break the bondage of Egypt, set them free, go into the land and possess the land. You, you guys know that narrative, you know that history, you know that story, right? Well, we know that Moses uh, gets to see a glimpse of the promised land, but he's not allowed to go in. Uh, there's just one incident, one incident where he misrepresented the Lord and it cost him from going into the promised land. So, you know, God commands him. This is an interesting situation. God commands Moses, 
climb a mountain, lay down, and die. It's an amazing command. Uh, and, of course, Moses obeys. Um, and there's a whole lot to that story. But the fact of the matter is, it's now Joshua and the elders of Israel. It's left to them to go in and possess the land. And, you know, there was a lot of battles, obviously. Um, there was, you know, for the most part, they were successful militarily, though not completely. Um, in some ways, they were deceived by the the nations that they were to drive out and made deals with them. And then in other times, they were just flat out disobedient. They didn't drive out nor destroy um, the nations in those lands as God had commanded, right? And so when you look at it, yeah, there was there was some failure militarily, but what is most telling, the greatest failure was the lack of the fathers to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And so this was this is what God's word declares. It says, when all that generation, talking about, you know, Joshua and the elders, had been gathered to their fathers, watch this, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which we, he had done for Israel. And you can find that in Judges 2.10. And so obviously there's a breakdown of a multi-kingdom generational vision. Um, and, and, you know, it could have been the, you know, the men, you know, were weary in battle. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how, you know, what their time management was like. But for sure, it's evident they did not, sit down as the Lord required them uh, to command their children after them uh, that, you know, the commandments of the Lord would be in their hearts and that they would follow and serve the Lord. And so there's a breakdown. There's a huge disconnect between the father and their children. And it cost Israel greatly because right after Joshua and the elders, it's the book of Judges. And that's over 400 years. And you talk about a stormy tale. Oh my goodness. I mean, what that nation went through uh, after the, the generation grew up who knew not the Lord, it was just back and forth, up and down. It was a roller coaster ride. You know, one minute walking, you know, with the Lord and there's blessing and then bam, you know, defecting and assimilating the idols and the idolatry of the pagan nations. You know, God lifts his hand. They, be, they you know, they become oppressed. They, they come under tyranny. And the this, this cycle just repeats itself over and over and over again until the point the Bible says there was no king in the land and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Um and boy, that's when it gets very tragic, very perverse, very bloody. Um, but I'll tell you what, um, it's, uh, it's clear. And, and this, is, this is important to grasp, brothers and sisters, that if you understand the evil one and his strategies, you know, yes, he, he, obviously he has a vested interest in destroying marriage, Right? whether it's through no-fault divorce or adultery or, you know, um, people, th you know, think they're incompatible to be married, whatever the deal is. I mean, obviously, the enemy has a vested interest in breaking that covenant apart um, because it brings a lot of misery um, to the present reality of, of the family. But I got to tell you, you know, that's, that's sort of a short-term plan, but long-term, if the evil one wants to destroy the future, the relationship he wants to destroy most then is to destroy the relationship between a father and his children. Uh, because again, when you study the scriptures, you see how incredibly important fathers are 
not just when it comes to the family and the church, but to society, to the nation itself. You know, America, we, we've, we've gone through a, a similar experience. Like, we raised a, a generation that grew up not knowing the Lord. You know, I think it was Tom Brokaw. He, um, he, he did a, uh, an episode or, or some study and about, you know, what generation, you know, should be considered the greatest generation of Americans. And, you know, I'm, the jury's out on that. I, I kind of tend more towards the Pilgrim forefathers and our founding fathers. But he came down on the side of the World War II generation. He considered the World War II generation the greatest generation of Americans. And to a certain degree, I get it. I mean, this was the generation that grew up in great, you know, deprivation. You know, um, they they went through, you know, the, the deal. Oh, my gosh, what was it? Um, oh, my goodness. My mind just escapes me. I'm sorry. Um, but they, they went through that time where, you know, there was the collapse and all that took place. And then right from there, they got catapulted into World War II. And so that generation knew, you know, deprivation. They knew poverty. They knew warfare. Um, they went through a lot of challenges, a lot of struggles, okay? So when they came back home, you know, victory, they won World War II. When they came back home, of course, men were reunited with their wives, and, and we, they produced, you know, the, the boomer generation, right? And um, so, you know, a lot of kids and stuff like that. And, uh, and that was the generation I kind of grew up with, you know, the 60s generation. And so here's the thing. Um, America, you know, entered a time of great prosperity, you know, after World War II. And so the years that they went through deprivation, poverty and warfare, they were over. We were enjoying a time of prosperity as a nation. And of course, they, the, the World War II generation had a lot of kids when they came back home. The problem was they did love their children, but for whatever reason, um, they didn't take the time to pass on the grit and the faith they had to overcome the Great Depression, to overcome the economic collapse, to overcome World War II. And so basically how the World War II generation showed love to their children was showering materialism upon them. I mean, their main deal, because they suffered so much, you know, their main deal was, man, my kids will never, ever suffer the way I did. They will not experience deprivation. And so they just showered, you know, money, materialism, toys, gadgets, I mean, you name it. Now, to a certain degree, I, I, I get their motive, but the end result was the same. That generation grew up not knowing the Lord. And so they became the radical subculture of the 60s that is now the tyrannical government of our day, the tyrannical establishment of our day. So we ourselves uh, have repeated what happened in the book of Judges, a generation grew up not knowing the Lord. And it's getting so bad in this nation that they not only do not know the Lord, again, they don't even know the difference between a boy and a girl. And our kids' minds are being savage and their bodies mutilated uh, as the enemy has just come in like a flood. And may the Lord lift up a standard against him according to his word. And so 
we go on in the scriptures and we see another failure of fatherhood. And this was revealed in the priesthood. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we, we encountered the high priest Eli. And the first red flag comes up in Eli's character as it seems to demonstrate he has a lack of discernment uh, as he's witnessing uh, what is going on with Hannah. If you remember, Hannah was childless. It, it broke her heart. Uh, she was in travail of soul. I mean, she desperately wanted God to open her womb and to give her a son, a son that she was willing to devote uh, to the Lord. Well, Eli's checking her out. He's watching her. And his conclusion is she is a drunk, silly woman. And so Hannah has to correct him. And so right then and there, you start to see, well, maybe, you know, Eli's getting up there in years. His discernment level is not quite accurate. Um, the scripture goes on to say that his eye became dim and the light in the temple was going out. So that's an interesting connection there. Eye dim, light going out, right? And so we're kind of seeing this as he's dealing uh, with Hannah. And then the greater sin, the greater failure, is when he as a father refuses to restrain the evil of his sons. And so in 1 Samuel 2.12, the scripture says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Man, over and over and over again, they did not know the Lord. And it doesn't say because it was the church or the synagogues or the temple's failure. It points the failure to fathers. I mean, critically important. So you, you have these rascals, Eli's sons, and they're ripping off God's people when it comes to the offering of the Lord, uh, to the point uh, the people abhorred the offering of the Lord. And I got to tell you, that's pretty bad. I mean, at that point, if you wanted to approach God, if you wanted to worship him correctly, you want to have a right relationship. I mean, there were certain things that were prescribed, and one of them was to offer offerings to the Lord. But the <laughs> Eli's sons are so corrupt in the way they handle it, the people reject the offering of the Lord. So they're not fulfilling their responsibilities before God because the ministry has gone mad and corrupt. And so obviously that's a terrible uh, plight that's hitting Israel, right? And then these scoundrels, they're literally committing sexual immorality with the maidens of Israel at the door. Of God's holy tabernacle of meeting so it wasn't just a question that they knew not the Lord I mean their unbelief came to the point that they thought they could commit sexual immorality at that door of the holy tabernacle and get away with it like they would never be held to account and by the way the covenant rebels that's the same line of thinking, the same stronghold in their life, that they get to do whatever they want to do, and who's going to hold them to account? Does God see? Does God hear? Where is your God, Israel? Where is he? Do you hear it out on the streets, at the death camps, at the homosexual pride parades? This is their response. It doesn't change. But the deal is, they're on a slippery slope, and um, they're going to find out the hard way that God is real. And he will hold them to account. So how does God respond to this? Well, he judges Eli's household. He kills his sons. And eventually the ark of God that carried the very presence and power of God was captured in battle by the Philistines. And this is the tragic announcement that was declared. Ichabod, the glory of the Lord, has departed. All that. All that negative consequences, all that bitter fruit came because Eli, as a dad, would not restrain his sons. 
he did not raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And so obviously this had dire consequences upon Israel as a nation. And in fact, when it comes to the New Testament, like this is so important to the Lord that when it comes to uh, requirements and church leadership, um, he establishes uh, this responsibility upon men who would become biblical elders and leaders in the church. They have a responsibility to train, instruct, and discipline their children because this is one of the requirements if they will serve faithfully in the church. So you can find this in 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. And this is what God's word states. Speaking of these elders, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. And here's the caveat. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So basically, brothers and sisters, church leaders, elders, pastors, overseers, shepherds, um, if they do not take care of their bride and their children in a godly way, God does not want to cut loose these men to take care of his bride and his kids. It's as simple as that. In other words, church leaders cannot export what is not working at home. And this is why, honestly, you know, the Bible says to pursue becoming a biblical elder in the church is a noble ambition. And the first place an elder needs to start is with his own soul and then the welfare of his own family. Because if that works at home, uh, that's going to give him greater uh, success in serving the church of Jesus Christ. Well, let's go on. We're going to look at another failure of fatherhood. And this one is very interesting, and the consequences are severe. So this one comes uh, by the prophet Samuel. Now, Samuel, um, obviously a great prophet of the Lord. Um, it says of him that none of his words fell to the ground. In other words, when that man spoke, it was weighty and people took it very serious. So like if Samuel showed up uh, to a city, uh, they would send out a contingency of the city fathers and they want to know really quick. You know, why are you here? Have you come in peace? Because they knew if he saw shenanigans, idolatry, or something wrong, uh, if he declared something uh, against that city, none of his words fell to the ground. And so obviously this is a powerfully anointed prophet of God. He has a strong mantle upon him. And in fact, he, as a child, he, he was the spokesperson God spoke through to judge Eli and his household. So like if anybody, you know, should have known better uh, on how a father should raise his children, it's Samuel. He, he saw the neglect. He, he saw the disobedience. Uh, he, he, he saw what happened when Eli refused to train his children in righteousness and in justice, right? He saw the severe consequences. So what happens? I mean, he's going along, and then we come to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And this is, I, I believe this is one of those serious, pivotal passages in the Old Testament. Because what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 8, like Israel never recovers from, it is that serious. And so we have uh, basically Samuel um, following the example of Eli 
uh, when it comes to being a father. So the scripture talks about Samuel, and then he talks about his sons. Now listen, th this is the uh, God's word as it relates to Samuel's sons. Did not walk in his ways. In other words, his sons did not walk in the ways of Samuel, his father. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. So, you know, Samuel's getting up there in years. Um, his sons are serving with Samuel, but they notice there's a clear distinction of character between Samuel and his sons. And these sons are very much like Eli's sons. All right, they're doing the same, you know, uh, corrupt, wicked, evil things uh, that cost their lives, right? And so Samuel's sons are following in the ways of Eli's sons, all right? And so this creates the environment where the children of Israel reject the kingship of God. And they desire to be like the pagan nations surrounding them. Remember when I said there's no king in Israel and every man devil is right in their own eyes? There was a king in Israel. The Lord was their king. But they either, you know, turn a blind eye to it, uh, ignore it, pretend like it's not so. And even if they do know in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they don't care. We want a human king representing us as a nation and literally become like all the other pagan nations surrounding them. So they demand an earthly king to go before them. And so, you know, obviously this breaks Samuel's heart. Uh, he's crying, he's weeping, you know, he's struggling. And then the Lord says, hey, Samuel, stop it. They're not rejecting you. They are rejecting me. Um, but you tell them, they really want a king? You really want a king? Well, let me tell you what it's going to be like. And he just lays out all the tyranny, all the oppression that they're going to experience. They're going to lose their sons, their daughters, high taxation, on and on and on it goes. Because you want to have an earthly king, you know, uh, to lead you out and fight your battles. And so, you know, Samuel goes to the people and uh, lays it out for them, and um, they don't care. They don't care the consequences. Give us the king, right? Give us Barabbas, you know. We can deal with Barabbas. We just can't deal with that other fellow over there. We can't deal with Christ. But Barabbas, he's one of our own. Yeah, we can deal with him, right? Well, the Samuel gives them what they want, uh, their wicked demands are met, and yeah, Israel will never be the same again. And, and, and this scenario, brothers and sisters, has a profound meaning for us today, because every good status that seeks government to replace the role of God in the life of its citizens and replace the father in the home, they know it is imperative for governmental policies to weaken the family to exercise more control of the masses. So it was the, the weakness of the family that destroyed the priesthood. It was the weakness of the family that destroys the prophetic. It's the weakness of the family that leads a nation from a free nation to come under tyranny and oppression. This literally happened in Israel's history over and over and over again. And it is happening in ours. Every status understands that. To gain power, control, they, they have to weaken the families. And so one of the ways they do to sort of wipe out the three-legged stool of liberty, and there's, there's pretty much three legs um, that must be in place to uphold sort of the, the stool of liberty, and that is faith, family, and freedom, which is one of the reasons when we start the American Reformation Church in West Melbourne, Florida, 
you know, it's based upon the four F's, faith, fatherhood, family, and freedom. Why am I doing that? Why is that the vision and mission of the church? Because I see it throughout scripture, how important these things are when it comes to a future and a hope for our children and our grandchildren. So critically important. And so how, how do the enemies of the Lord, the status, undermine faith, family, and freedom? Well, through governmental decrees and through public policy, they unleash sexual immorality upon the citizens, right? So once sexual immorality is imposed by governmental decree, this enslaves people to lust. And why is that important? So the lust for power by tyrants is ignored by the masses that live to satisfy their lust. And this is clearly happening under our watch. You know, when it comes to like all the important issues of the day, you know, like the border or foreign policy or, you know, domestic policy, what in the world are we talking about here? You know, what are we focusing on? The transgendered movement, drag queens, teaching our kids, grooming our children. That's the important issues of the day that our government is backing. And they're ignoring the very things that are destroying us. I mean, brothers and sisters, this is what is going on. And we need to awaken to this. And so when we put this all together, brothers and sisters, how important were fathers to the welfare of Israel? Well, we know the Bible records its significance, and it is great. And I want to remind you, as we're coming to a close here, it is not the sins of the mother, nor the sins of the church, nor the sins of the state that are passed to the children. God says it is the sins of the father. God never calls vulnerable children or orphans, never calls them the motherless, the churchless, or the stateless. He always calls them the fatherless. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, there is a deep father's wound and hurt in this nation. We are raising a fatherless generation, and they are being devoured by the evil one. So men, please understand this. You know, when, when I bring up these points, understand, yeah, that's a great responsibility, but it also shows you have this high and lofty position in the kingdom of God. So like what you say or don't say, what you do or don't do, it has a profound impact on the future and hope of children. So this is where, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, where he admonishes men. He says, watch ye. Men, you got to be watchful. What's coming in your family? What's going out of your family? Do you know the state of your flock? Are you taking care of them? Are you being watchful? Are you feeding them? And I'm not just talking about food. Are you caring for their souls? Do you know who their friends are? Do you know what they're seeing through their phones and computers? I mean, believe me, there is many ways that the enemy can ga gain access to your kids to lead them astray and, and capture them, to destroy them. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Men, listen. Life's hard. It's chaotic. A lot of struggles, a lot of issues, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. Okay? God gave you some shoulders to bear that burden, and you got to stand fast. When everything else is falling apart and people are bouncing all over, the, all over the place, men, you hold steady. You have to be the stabilizing force of your wife and of your children. you got to be a stabilizing force in the church and in your community. And then it says, quit you like men. And this is God, God the Father, getting up in the face of us, his sons, his soldiers, his servants, and he's saying, you know, be the man. Act the man's part. Man up. That's what he's saying. Man up. Be strong. And then it says, do all things in love. Okay? 
And so God presupposes strength to the man. And I know this is fighting words today, but God calls women the weaker vessel. And believe me, the way God wires a man, the way God wires a woman, it's different. And both are important and both are needful to raise healthy children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But brothers, this is God's command to us. And so as we come to this Father's Day celebration, this is my prayer. All you guys who may be listening to this podcast, listen, here, here's the goal. Here's my encouragement. This is what I pray inspires you. Men, listen, we got to rebuild the family altar. That's first and foremost. We got to rebuild the family altar. I mean, we literally don't even really have altars in the church anymore. So, yeah, <laughs> we need some altars so we can deal with God and deal with ourselves and make things right. And so rebuild that family altar. You know, lead your family in the worship of God. You know, have daily prayers. Uh, open the scriptures. Get a Bible reading schedule. Read through the scriptures. It's your responsibility to wash your wife in the water of the word. All right? The scripture even says that if a wife has a theological question or doctrinal question, she's not supposed to set up an appointment with the elders and the pastors of the church. The Bible directs her to go home and ask her husband. Husband, listen, it's your responsibility. You have to be an in-house theologian. You have to be an in-house historian, okay? You, you have to give an answer for the hope that lies within you first to your own wife and your own children. But how can you give a word if you don't know the word? And so men study to show yourself approved by God. Receive marching orders from the Lord through the scriptures so you can pass on wisdom and knowledge and understanding in your sphere of influence. Amen. So critically important because you know what men in the church are doing right now? And it's been going on for decades. We're paying the professionals to do our job for us. We're paying pastors and youth pastors to um, answer the theological questions of our wives. We're paying the state through our taxes to educate our young. Listen, I'm going to be pastoring pretty soon, and, and, and one of my strong admonishes to men is this. As an elder in the body of Christ, I'm going to do my best to you know, pour into your lives. I'm going to try to equip you as best I can, to serve you as best I can, you know, but I cannot replace you. I can't replace you as husband and father. That is your duty. That is your responsibility. And the church and pastors and elders cannot replace you. Neither can the state replace you. Men, these are your duties. These are your responsibilities. Take it back. Then take back your marriage and take back your family. Take back your kids. Take back the church and take back our nation. Amen? Come on. And so, you know, raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. You know, be a faithful churchman. To have authority, you must be under authority. All of us need accountability in our lives, men. Critically important to our integrity. And then go forth and fight the Lord's battles and become leaders in your communities and beyond if God extends your territory. And it's in Jesus' name. I pray these things for you, men. Hallelujah. Well, that's the conclusion of this episode. Blessed Father's Day, men. I pray your family gives the honor that is due you and that you look upon your life and your wife and your marriage, your children and your grandchildren. And I do pray, brothers, no matter what you're going through, maybe how hard the circumstances, still look around and see what the Lord has done, right? And I'm just telling you, all these things that are 
I'm, I'm teaching you or sharing with you. It's worth it, brothers. I promise you it's worth it. So folks, you guys keep pressing on to that high call and prize in Jesus name. Uh, this is Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. Till next time, God bless you in Jesus name. <laughs>